Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Putting It Together. It's episode 323 with me, Brian O'Sullivan. This is the Creative Conversations podcast. How are you? I'm good. I'm good today. I'm tired, but I'm good. I've been working hard on getting various projects over the finish line, or at least over the current finish line, I suppose. Each each deadline is a finish line in itself, but it's not over. Um, so I've had to deliver some songs for Panto, and I've had to deliver a first draft of my new play, Meetings with the Monk, and trying to get the two done, sort of in conjunction with each other, uh, has been interesting, interesting indeed, um, but we're getting there, we're getting there, the songs have been delivered and um, the play is very close, very close to our first draft, I need another wee day on it, um, but that's going to be fine, I'm going to do that tomorrow, a bit late with the podcast this week, um, just various bits and bobs going on I won't go into, but uh, I did have a day off yesterday and went to the Fringe and I just... I did a thing which I've never done actually is I chose a venue and I stayed in that venue all day and went to see everything that that venue had to offer for the day barring the very last show of the night uh, because we wanted to get back to Glasgow uh, but apart from that I saw everything in the venue which was roundabout at Summer Hall. So the first thing was Daniel Kitson and uh, his new work in progress which is called First Thing first thing and uh, we didn't think we were going to get to see that in fact because we didn't have a ticket for that we we had a pass for all the other shows I'm not exactly sure how it works um, but we got there half an hour before the first show so 10am we arrived and in fact they had just released a couple of returns for Daniel Kitson so we were very lucky because as you may know um, a Kitson ticket is usually like gold dust he's a very well respected artist um, constantly surprising very clever breaks the form all the time, uh, plays with it, plays with your expectations beautifully. Um, so even just to get in to see whatever it is, and you have no idea what it's going to be because he writes his copy months in advance before he's thought about what the show's going to be. Like many of us, but most of us pretend that we know what the show's going to be, whereas he writes copy that's unrelated and just says, yep, but it's not about any of that, what I've just written. So, uh, so we got in. Long story short, we got in and um, it didn't disappoint. And it's, I mean, there's no point in me spending a podcast trying to describe shows to you. That's silly, because there's a reason that they're shows and they're not books or podcasts, because if they could be described in words alone, then that would be what they were. Um, but needless to say, Daniel Kitson was quite amazing and made me think about storytelling in, in different ways. Um, he puts words into the mouths of audience members by giving us scripts and so much can be achieved by that just kind of we hear what sounds very much like a natural conversation and people shouting out things that they've thought of and we forget sometimes that they've not thought of them and they're not saying them naturally they are being guided to say them by this script which has been written by the performer who's you know reacting to what they say as if it's new information um so it really pushes the boundaries of like what is a play what is an act um and who is this Kitson fella? You know, people have to shout out things like, oh, classic Kitson. And he says, oh, no, no, no need for that. Thank you very much. But these are words that he's put into the mouths of the audience. So, um, I mean, you laugh a lot, but also you, you question the form. And that's what he does really well, is ask you to question the form. And it's something that I'm trying to do with my new play, Meetings with the Monk. So to see that yesterday was a real treat because it gave me... I don't know, I mean, I don't think it's as simple as it gave me ideas, but it's it kept me in that space 
of thinking about the the kind of I suppose the postmodern approach to performance and the questioning constantly of the form and the dipping in and out of the form and acknowledging that we're in the form. Um, something like Family Guy does that, you know, really well. Um, almost not constant, but but regular acknowledgement that we're in this pretend world and. Of course, the cutaways which they do, you know, every scene do that because they they acknowledge that we're in their memory, they're in their memories, they're in their minds, we're in their minds, we're seeing their thoughts, uh, but they know that these are cutaways, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I'm always interested in that type of thing and because that's the, the way I've decided to go with my new play, it was just excellent to, not only just to be in a theatre for the day, um, because anything in the theatre, you know, gives you more sense of, of different forms and makes you question the forms anyway. But when the piece itself deliberately questions those forms, um, it really, it puts you in the mind mind frame to ask those questions repeatedly um, and to, to keep to keep zooming out and zooming back in on what you're doing. Um, so yeah, I, I think I made some decisions yesterday, but also just put some more stuff into the into the pot, you know, to, to simmer, if you like. And we kind of have to talk almost exclusively in metaphor when we get this this down to brass tacks, if you'll forgive another metaphor. Um, because it's so hard to put into words what it is. Um, it's kind of like spirituality, you know. 99% of spirituality in, in words, in discussion, in writing and speaking is metaphor, and it has to be. Because we don't have a way to adequately describe in reality what we're talking about. And I think that's that's definitely true of art because, you know, it, as I said at the beginning, if these things could be put into words effectively and words were enough to convey what they were, then they wouldn't need to be the artwork that they are. Um, so we talk in metaphor, we dance around the subject and we, we try to sort of conjure a sense of what it was like to be in that space rather than describe exactly what happened in that space. And I think that's where theatre or arts reviewers have a, a tricky job as well. And some would say a, a very important one, and I know there's a lot of discussion around this, but that that job of documenting what goes on to some degree. Not, I'm not really that interested in this one person's opinion on what they thought of it, um, whether they thought it was good or bad. I don't really see why that's important, but um, the job of somehow keeping a record of what went down and trying to give us a sense through their words of what it was like to be in that space on that day I think is a, is a valiant one and, and a, a difficult one and if it's done well I think we can look back in years to come and we can say ah you know we have a record of what happened and of course increasingly we have other records of what happened because of technology we have footage you know and sound recordings and different photographs and things but in days gone by, that wasn't the case. And I think reviewers, in some sense, were tasked with keeping a track of what was going on. But also, you know, m more in the old days than now, were tasked with seeing stuff and then telling people whether it was worth seeing. Now, I don't know. I don't think that people make their decisions based on that. I don't know anyone who makes their decisions based on that. I don't know. I don't. But anyway, this sense of, for me, sitting here now trying to re- live a wee bit of what happened yesterday to try to describe to you. I mean, it's kind of meaningless to describe to you what I saw in the theatre yesterday. 
But I can give you recommendations and I can also tell you what, what it sparked in me because it will spark different things in you if you go along. And you, everyone who goes, just for one example, to the fringe this year will experience a completely different thing to the next person and it will trigger different things in their brain and it will push their art if they have a practice in another way. And, you know, we're all different. Um, that kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? But anyway, I wanted to kind of share with you what I what I saw, what I liked and what it did to me, if I can figure that out, which I probably can't. Um, England and Son, uh, starring Mark Thomas, a terrific one-person play um, about a, a boy and his relationship with his father, essentially, uh, written by Ed Edwards, who wrote The Political History of Smack and Crack. Um, Mark Tom Thomas usually does his own solo work, which is about his own experience doing things like with political activism, traveling the world, trying to sort of, you know, right the wrongs, I suppose, of the world or help the, the disenfranchised. That's my experience of his work. I can't speak about the whole catalogue. But in this case, he acts in this play and my God, like he storms it. He, I mean, as you know, if you've ever seen him, he's a hugely engaging performer. Just being on a stage, the, the use of his voice, his body, just absolute commitment, complete. It, it takes over every fibre of his being and he, you cannot not watch him. And that's a wonderful thing in a performer. But to see him use that to tell a story that isn't his own, to act a story, is amazing. Amazing. Um, a beautiful story and a harrowing one um, and told in this I mean, what I would call a very old-fashioned way, and you know I like old-fashioned, and what I mean by it is um, unbridled theatricality, not hiding the work, just showing us that he's acting and he's telling the story and he's throwing himself around and throwing himself into the story, using every inch of his body and voice to put it across. And it's a it's a really theatrical form of acting. Um, so you're sitting there and you're, you are engaged in the story very much, but you're also, for me anyway aware that you're watching an actor do um, an amazing feat. And that I enjoy that. That's why I like actors like Simon Callow, where other people might say things like, that's too much or that's old-fashioned. I, I love it. I want to see it. I want to see it all. Um, and that's another thing I loved about my, my friend, the great, uh, the, the great and late John Stahl. He demonstrated his, his workings. He just showed, he threw it all at the wall and was completely unapologetic about giving a huge bravura performance, snotters and tears and screaming and whispering and everything in between and I think that's very much what you get with Mark Thomas um, gorgeous play beautiful story and just so expertly carried off definitely worth a watch, I should say by the way that the Daniel Kitson tickets are very hard to come by at this point but I would encourage you to go there uh, to the Summer Hall at 10am they open at 10, the box office opens at 10 and his show is at 10.30 on the mornings that it's on, which isn't every morning. But I think there are tickets available for everything else that I'm going to mention, as far as I know. So there you go. Um, yeah, I really I really was taken with Mark's performance and it, it, it reminded me of why I like theatre. I like to see people acting, I like to see people using tools, skills to tell a story. And I like to know I'm in the theatre. I want to experience that that skill demonstrated. Um, I don't really go to the theatre to completely disappear into a story and forget that I'm in the theatre. I don't know if that's unusual. I don't know where people stand on that. But I know I'm in the theatre and I love it. 
um, and it's not real life. And it has resonances of real life and the stories that we hear there might have, you know, echoes of real life or reminders of bits of our lives or make us think in a different way about our lives. Um, but a facsimile of, of my life played in front of me so naturalistically that I can't tell the difference between it and real life. It doesn't interest me at all. Um, I can watch films for that, you know, or more, actually more likely it's like TV dramas, you know what I mean? supernaturalistic expensive things that make it seem like it's very real there's that but then of course with film as with everything you can get into territory where it's you know magical realism or uh, things that are completely over the top or um characters and and monsters and demons you know that would never appear in real life so there's all that as well but anyway when i'm at the theater i'm not really looking to be Mostly, I'm not looking to be completely lost in it to the point where I forget I'm at the theatre. I like to know. I like to see those skills put in front of me. I like to see someone doing something that they've practised and that they do well. It's the same reason I like to see people play live music. Um, I, I'm not looking for them to recreate the exact sound of a pre-recorded bit of music. I want to see them show me their skill that they've practised. And they've practised really hard and do do the version of it that they do today in front of us right now. That's what I want. That's what I love about about live performance. So, the next show I'm going to talk to you about is another... Oh, I was going to say it's another solo, but it's not, because it is a two-hander. Lady Dealer. Um, let me see a wee bit more about this so I can try to give you a bit of context. But it's about a young woman who's a drug dealer, essentially. Um, poem play. It's described as a poem play by Martha Watson Allpress, who's a writer that I don't know much about. Um, and the... I don't think it even tells you here who the performer in it is. She was terrific. Uh, Charlie was the name of the character. She's a she's a, a young woman in her, I think, mid-late 20s who's a drug dealer. And she loves it. She gets a great buzz off doing that. She feels powerful and it gives her purpose. But it seems like the rest of her life isn't, isn't really working. Um, and it starts out in a kind of a performance poetry type of a style. There's a, there's a Kay Tempest element to the cadences and you do well I did wonder how will we cope will will this will this sustain itself but actually what happens is that drops away and then it just comes back in shades so it's it's not all constantly rhyming verse but it does come in and out which is an interesting way of doing it unapologetic just kind of like yeah it's here but also sometimes it won't be here um and a terrific performance in the lead um and I would argue that I don't, I don't know if we need it to be a two-hander. Um, so any interaction she had with other characters came from pre-recorded voices, which I also am never sure about. Um, but so be it. Uh, but one other character was played by a live actor who came into the space very late in the proceedings. And I was kind of, yeah, I mean, it's nothing against this actor in, in particular, more in terms of the actual production choices. I would just wonder, do you need another person? I mean, she was so good. and. It was so engaging, the whole thing. And again, quite theatrical. A lot of um, way she moved was really interesting. The way the space was set up was all old speakers on their sides and different things. Uh, it wasn't naturalistic in any way. Um, and she really did perform the story for us. It was enough to see her go through this. And I felt I experienced it with her. Um, it was quite heart-wrenching. And, and then I just didn't feel like maybe the second person was really necessary. Um, I don't, but for me it didn't add anything that we didn't already have so that's where I ended up with that 
I just want to tell you about two more pieces. I saw a lot more, um, but some of them just weren't to my taste, and some of them, yeah, I just I thought I would focus in on the ones that I'm really moved to speak about. That's all I'll say, because I'm not a reviewer, um, and I also I'm not in the business of like tearing anybody down or anything. It doesn't interest me at all. Um, but the stuff that stuck with me is what I'm talking about. Strategic love play. This is a very, very well-written play by Miriam Batye, um, taking a scalping, scalpel to modern romance. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to describe, actually, but it's it's set around a first date where the, the two people on the date kind of break apart the conventions of the date. Uh, in front of each other, say, oh, we're supposed to do this now, we're supposed to do that now, and this is pointless, and everything's fucked, kind of thing, um, and I did really sort of identify with it, and the woman really tears it apart, the guy's really nice, and she's like, don't be nice to me, why are you, why are you being nice to me, why would you lie to me, I'm useless, I can't, and uh, more interesting the way I'm describing it, not just her being down on herself, but in fact, her trying to point out what she believes to be the truth about the situation, about modern love and about dating um, and relationships and how do we end up with people and they sort of eventually make this pact to stay together, regardless of whether they like each other, they sort of decide to be together and just just call off the search um, and, you, and it keeps going in different ways, I don't want to say too much more about it because I really would recommend that you see it, beautifully written, tremendous performances, really slick um, and actually a lot of what the the woman in it, one of the actors did, was, was super naturalistic, to be fair. Um, but because of that, I was able to marvel at the writing because it's so, it was so piercing and it got, it's touched bits where you go, wow, oh, that's so right, I never thought of it that way, which of course is a hallmark of good writing where you go, yes, I totally get that, but I would never have been able to say it like that. Um, and she has a lot of the lines that have that effect and because she performs them in a really naturalistic way, like as if she's just thought of them, um, it allows you to see those insights kind of unfettered by anything else. So I suppose I'm going completely back on what I've said, although due to her naturalism, uh, I was very still then very aware I was in the theatre because I said, oh, look how naturalistic that is, and then therefore how much I can engage with the lines that she's saying that have been written that are very deliberately chosen. So I mean, the thing is, I'm not a typical audience member, and probably if you're listening to this show, neither are you. Um, We are aware that we're in the theatre. We go deliberately to see what's going on in the theatre. What are people doing? What techniques are they using? What kind of writing has been done here? And and how is it being handled? All that type of thing. So, yeah, we we don't count among the typical audience members, I think. Nevertheless, um, I got a lot out of this play and I thought it was beautifully written, brilliantly acted and very well directed, I will say as well. I can't give you any of the names. This is the unfortunate thing because um, what I've got here is, is the Summer Hall website. I wish I could tell you more. But it's a Payne's Plough, Soho Theatre and Belgrade Theatre in association with Landmark Theatre. So it feels like it's been a big co-production and I hope a lot of other people get to see it. I'd recommend it. Strategic Love Play. That's on at 5.20 uh, most days of August. And the final show that we saw of the day was called Bull Ring Techno Makeout Jams. Uh, another, I mean, it's all Payne's Plough, of course, <coughs> because of Roundabout. Uh, let me see now. 
Winner of the Bruntwood Prize for Playwriting in 2022, Bullring Techno Makeout Jams follows Nathaniel, a young man approaching what appears to be his quarter-life crisis. Um, and he's talking about he's talking about relationships, uh, whether that's relationships with women or a relationship with his barber or his father. Um, but I'm, I was so taken by the style of performance of the actor. Um, he was in the space when we walked in and it was just alive. Everything about him was completely alive. A buzz with this. Come in and let me tell you about this. And he was so lovable. And I don't know how much of this was the character. I don't know whether he wrote it. In fact, this is the thing, I don't even know. Um, so how much is him? But th whoever that person was in that space, I completely fell in love with. I wanted to just be with him. Um and he told us about his life and how he's got sort of techniques for dating and, you know, he wants trying to give the women the best night of their life. And he's got, like, this unending confidence in himself, actually. And what we watch is, I suppose, to a, to an extent, the breakdown of that or, or his realisation that that's maybe not all it's cracked up to be, that there's more to it, that things are maybe more subtle than he first realised. And he comes from a, a home where his father's Jamaican um, and is fairly fairly sort of strict and straight to the point um, and wants him to knuckle down and get on with things and it, his relationship with that is, is interesting to observe because he's out there kind of wanting to live the good life and and be be a bit of a player and be a man about town and he like he's into like his fashion and his uh, expensive aftershaves and all these types of things that he thinks are that feel really important to him and his father therefore through his eyes anyway seems like quite a staid quite a quite an old-fashioned stick in the mud kind of a character and i suppose what happens in the play is we see that the truth or the best version of anyone is is somewhere in between rather than being on either end of that scale um we see the subtlety come alive um and we see him realize what that subtlety might mean to him and um, for it to come home to him but a really beautiful performance and late on in the day and I really was considering going home I said I don't know if I really want to watch another one um, but I'm so glad I stayed and we had a wonderful day myself and the bold Gary McNair we had a great day and yeah it made me think differently about my play and about plays in general and about art in general and about life too I mean I was watching that strategic love play and I was actually more than thinking about theatre I was thinking about dating and relationships and I was laughing in recognition at some of the tropes and some of the, the habits we have and the way we do things um, so that definitely was an example of life being reflected back to me and me saying oh yeah of course yeah my life's like that and I get that um, and it is difficult but yeah also thinking about writing and what I'm doing artistically at the moment and on the way home I had a very literal kind of well not on the way home but during the day I had a very literal kind of idea come to me to as to how to begin and end the play that I'm writing and that was good I mean it's not I would not go for a day at the fringe with the express intention I need an idea for such and such that's not how it works I think that's how you think it works when you're younger um but organically just through the day just thinking about stuff things started to drop into place you know and you don't push it but it makes me realize that doing that going there yesterday was as much a part of my work as anything else you know I considered it a day off because I was taking a day off from the inside of my head you know in terms of non-artistic stuff I was taking a day off from all the other stuff of life that I'm finding challenging um 
by going headlong into art. Um, so it wasn't a day off from work, really, you know. Um, but it was a day off from other commitments and and it just brought my head in a way back into focus artistically. So, I mean, I recommend it. There's nothing quite like it, being going and seeing, seeing as many things as you can. And it's almost immaterial whether you like them or not. Um, it's great to have some in there that you love, but all the ones that you find unremarkable or maybe you even get annoyed at them or whatever, they all need to be in there too. I mean, if we only ever saw stuff that we really liked, we wouldn't understand what we liked. And I know that that's a fairly simplistic view, but for me, even on an ongoing basis, even though I think I know what I like, I still don't know at all. So I have to keep going and seeing as many things as I can. And if I don't like something, I think, okay, well, good, I'm glad I was there to know that I didn't like it. Um, I never think, oh, I wish I'd never gone, you know. Unless I discover that I've missed out on something else that I really wanted to do, I generally think, well, at least I went and I now, you know, I'm able to talk about it if someone asks me or if someone else goes to see it or I can look at it and think, well, I wouldn't want to do it like that. So I'll remember that. I won't do that because I didn't like when they did that. And some other people might, you know. Um, and I will say there was nothing I saw yesterday that was, you know, that would be unlikable by everyone um, or that was inherently bad. Um, it was more just why what, what I tuned into and what I didn't so much. And I definitely was drifting in and out, as you do, and I allowed myself that as well. I said, I'm going to go here, I'm going to have a day in this venue and I'm just going to let it happen, you know. Let it wash over me is a tricky phrase, I think, because we do as an audience have some responsibility to engage. Um, we can't be passive because we are active and I think seeing Daniel Kitson's show first off was a perfect start because it was the most active an audience gets to be in some sense. We were involved in every element of the show and so you start your day in a kind of a, right, we're all in this together, you feel like you're part of a big team. And then I forgot that in fact all the people who were in watching that show weren't necessarily going to come with us and watch all the other shows of the day which I kind of would have liked in a way. Um, but there were some people there for most of the day, people that we knew and things, just getting in on the first day of the Fringe and just seeing what they could. Um, so by the end of the day, there were, a, there were a few of us that had just been in most of the shows and we were kind of chatting between and queuing up and going back in and taking our same seats. We stayed in the same seats all day. Uh, was selling Gary, so that was cool. Just to go, right, this is our spot, this is our vantage point and we'll see everything that we see from here today. And let's just see what we see and that's what we did so yeah i'm coming back to tomorrow to come back to the play and look at i've got some notes from layla the director and and some new thoughts in my head as well um to, to revisit that before i submit what will essentially be the second draft to the people at play a pine a pint um and that goes into rehearsal at the end of september so still some time um, I'm back at the Fringe next week playing piano in Irish Celtic, the Irish dance show at the EICC. Looking forward to that very much. Um, great music. Oh, just so good. I'm enjoying listening to it so much and, and starting to learn it. Um, so I'll, next week I'll be at the Fringe in a, in a quite a different capacity to usual, so that'll be interesting. And hopefully I'll have some time to go and see some more stuff. Also doing... Um, auditions for Christmas show, like um, being on the panel for the auditions for the ones, the show where I've written the songs for it. So next week's going to be a, an interesting wee mix of things. Um, it's going to be quite a little 
quite a little artistic hotbed in a way that I'm not used to. Um, I do fear that there's going to be a lot of driving, trying to park, trying to find places to sleep or driving home late at night and none of it. I could do without all of that. But there you go. That's just the way things are. So I hope that you're well. I hope that you're uh, keeping it going. Doing all the right things. I, th- I think this is a challenging month for us in in Scottish arts for so many reasons. I mean, if we're doing something at the Fringe, it can be wonderful and joyous and also very challenging. It can be really hard. You may be worried about audience numbers. Um, you may be out flyering at strange hours of the day trying to get people to come to your show. You might have a financial interest in your show, so you're actually concerned whether you're going to get paid. You may be on a profit share, all these things. Your digs might not be right. You might not have any digs. You might be in a show that's sold out every day and then that has its own problems because you you know, you know, begin to wonder if the reaction is real or if it's all hype or you'll begin to think, well, maybe I don't get it. Do I get this play? Or, or you'll be sad to think that it might finish because you wish you could keep doing it forever and nothing else will ever measure up. It's a fraught time. And then, if you're anything like me, as soon as the fringe starts, I start to think, oh God, I'll never see everything. I feel bad. Before it's even started, I already felt guilty that I'm not going to see everything. That's hard. Or that I'll be somehow, that it's not for me, that I won't be part of it. Um, So, I always find it a challenging month, whatever capacity I happen to be there in. Um, And then, of course, there's the after effects, you know, when, when it finishes. What am I doing next? Do I have something to go to next? Is there a big come down? All that stuff. And who knows what relationships might form and, and whether and, you know, what what will happen to our friendships and our family when we're in just in the bubble, thrown in to the fringe. Um, so it's all worth considering and keeping in mind as we, as we head into August. It started now. Yesterday was really the first day and now the fringe has started. Um, and I would encourage you to look after yourself. Um shawarmas and, and burgers are very good and I am in no position to preach but do try and eat the occasional piece of fruit and drink some water as well you know what I mean, look after yourself and try and get some sleep And because what happens is after a week or so of, of running yourself into the ground, you might have moments of elation almost delirium but but there's a crash, you know um, so yeah, I'm just aware that we're we're going into one of our big times. This and panto season, I think, in Scottish theatre are kind of the big trigger points that can be both wonderful and terrible and that we can get spat out of the other end um, in various states and just have to deal with it. And we can be skint or we can be riding high for a couple of weeks, you know, that way where you get paid and you feel like you're rich for a minute and then it's all gone again. Um, all stuff just to be just to be aware of, just to look out for. Talk to your pals. And if you take my advice, talk to your pals that aren't in the arts, that aren't at the fringe as well. Don't forget them. Um, because that can keep you kind of grounded. You know, because it's dead easy to go into the bubble and forget about the rest of your life. And for some people that will be quite deliberate. For other people it will be accidental. Um, but it's good, I think, to stay connected to what's important in your life when the fringe isn't there. You know, so that when, when it isn't there, you still have the other parts of your life. They've still been tended to. You've still kind of watered the plants uh, back home, literally and metaphorically. Didn't think I was going to talk about that, but there you go. I've had a few fringes and I've had a few, uh, 
I've fallen down a few of those traps, you know. Uh, I've been spat out the other side a number of times, not just at the fringe. And some of it's an occupational hazard. It does happen and we just have to roll with it and we just get used to it over time. But there are things we can do to mitigate it or mitigate the damage that it causes and those include drinking water, talking openly to people, getting enough sleep, eating. Um, the basics, you know. Um, HALT is a good one. It stands for H-A-L-T, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Basically four states to look out for. And if you're trying to make decisions in that state, in any of those states, you might want to have a wee rethink or deal with the immediate first if you're hungry, angry, lonely or tired. So I suppose watch out for all those states when you're at the fringe. Um, And if in doubt, pick up a a wee episode of Putting It Together and get back, back in the flow with us and give me a shout. And make sure you're following us on social media, Pod, Instagram and Twitter. Give us a wee search on Facebook, it's just putting it together. And if you'd like to support the show financially, which many people do and it's very much appreciated, then you can go to puttingittogethercast.com and click on the yellow donate button. Puttingittogethercast.com and click on donate. You can give us a pound a month, you can give us one off a fiver, or you can give us... A fiver a month, or you can do whatever you want. Um, if you can afford to and you think this is a worthwhile podcast and you'd like to support it, then please do. We'd very much appreciate it. I think that's quite enough from me. I'm, my voice is tired. I'm tired. Um, I wanted to reflect a wee bit, but I don't want to push it and just ramble for the sake of rambling. Um, life's been kind of crazy and it's been tricky to get guests um, with the circumstances of my life at the moment, but I thought I'll bring you something this week and it will give me a chance to reflect. And then uh, we'll see what next week brings. But, you know, even though we're late, we didn't miss an episode. We're still going. We're still putting it together. And I really appreciate you coming along and having a wee listen. And I hope that something that's been said here is of some use to you, whether it's just to give you some solace to take you out of the moment you're in um, or to actually advise uh, to, to help you deal with something, I don't know. But either way, in whatever sense it's useful, I'm glad you're here and that you keep listening. And remember, dig into the archives and check out some of the other episodes. There have been some amazing conversations over the years and uh, there's no there's no end in sight, so we keep going. And if you've got ideas about the show or you want to get in touch for any other reason, just hit me up on social media or give me a wee email, brian at puttingittogethercast.com. Always great to hear from you. Thanks very much for listening and uh, I'll just say what I always say at the end. Cheerio now. <laughs>